Hello, very excited to have Dom, also known as Ellie Griffiths, with me today. Hi, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Donald. I'm really delighted to be here. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Ellie Griffiths. In fact, I'm going to, while we're online, change my name because uh, my writing name is Ellie Griffiths. I'm just going to put that up on screen. Uh, but as you know me as Domenica, which is my real name, which weirdly sounds more made up than Ellie Griffiths. <laughs> but uh, I'm the author of the Dr. Ruth Galloway Mysteries and the Brighton Mysteries and a couple of books that started off as standalones that are now a series starring Harbin Decor, featuring Harbin Decor. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? I really did, actually. Yeah, I, I um, wanted to be a writer even before I kind of knew what a writer was. You know, before I went to school, I used to do little picture books and my dad was sort of sew, sew the, the margin together for me. Um, and so I kind of always wanted to sort of produce the books. I don't know why. Uh, and when I was 11, I wrote um, my first novel, which, of course, has never been published. But it's called The Hair of the Dog, which might have been something my parents talked about. Um, but I think it was very influenced by Agatha Christie, who I started reading at the same age. It's about a, a group of children in um, a little village, uh, a group of young people, not children, in a little village, uh, where nothing much happens. So they decide to stage a fake crime to bring media there, and, and it turns into a real murder. So it's not a bad, it, how to say, it's not a bad plot, I don't think. Um, but, but yeah, obviously never published. And uh, when I was at secondary school, I used to write little episodes of Starsky and Hutch. Now, you're a bit young for Starsky and Hutch, Donna, but um, you know who they are. So I was a big Starsky and Hutch fan. And um, I used to write these little stories about them. And I always remember one week I, I wrote a story in which Starsky died. Um, and he was my favourite as well. And I remember when people reading it in class and some of them cried. And I quite liked that. You know, I liked that. I, I thought really it was, oh, I might know how to do this. You know, I, I might have got the, the secret to this, you know, that you can make people laugh and they could make you cry. So that, that was my first feeling of, oh, I know how to do this. But like a lot of writers, it was a long, long time before it was actually published. I read English at university. I worked in the library for a while. Then I got a job at HarperCollins. I ended up being publicity director at HarperCollins for children's fiction. Still didn't write anything. And only wrote my, started my first published book when I was on maternity leave, expecting my twins who are now 24. So I guess 25 years ago, I wrote what became my first published book. That was published as Domenica de Rosa, published four books as Domenica, and then had an idea for a crime novel. <laughs> Uh, but when you were on maternity leave, what was it that made you sit down and think, OK, now's the time I'm going to finally write my book? That's a good question. I think it was more a sort of realisation that it was a bit of time away from publishing, which I have to say I loved. I loved working publishing. I you know, loved being an editor, loved all that, had great friends there, still friends with them today. But it had sort of made me forget that what I really wanted to do was write the actual book. So I think it was having a bit of time away from them because I had twins and a few complications. I had a slightly longer maternity leave than most. And um I think it was just the sort of distance. And I had had a story in my head about my dad who was uh, came, came over from Italy with, with his parents after the First World War. And they lived in the kind of Italian quarter of London, you know, Clark and Well District. And I had an idea about that. And, and the book was eventually called The Italian Quarter. But I didn't finish it until the twins were about four. So I didn't finish it on maternity leave. But I think it was just that. It was the bit of space, a bit of time, a bit, a bit of time away from sort of publishing. Because as you know, and it's not wrong at all, but publishing is big business. You know, it's about money. Um, and, and I teach creative writing. And I always say to my students that if a, a, a publisher only publishes a book for one reason only, and that's to make money. Um, and that's not wrong because they're venture capitalists. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of quite a commercial world. So I think it was just a little time away from that world. <laughs> um, so if you're working in children's books and then you wrote a sort of historical, then how did that turn into crime? Well, it's interesting. Isn't it? I obviously had always wanted always been drawn to crime so to speak or to crime writing because that first book you know you know when I was 11 and I don't and I guess in a way Starsky and Hutch is a police procedural isn't it so I guess I was always drawn to the genre in a way uh, but my first four books my first Domenica books were all I suppose 
I, I really don't like these classifications, really, but I suppose you'd call them women's fiction. They're about families, relationships, that sort of thing. Set in Italy, because my family are from Italy. Um, so, but then I had an idea because my husband, Andy, um, had changed careers. So he, he was a lawyer when I met him, but but he'd always wanted to be an archaeologist. And so he, he went back to university when I was quite young and, and studied archaeology, cheer student like yourself so he went back to, to university and did that um so i had a little bit of an idea about um a forensic archaeologist um and i didn't really think at the time that it would turn into a crime novel but when i showed it to my agent she said oh oh she said uh, this is crime you need a crime name so that's <laughs> how it became ellie griffiths <laughs> Oh, I love that you have a normal name and then a crime name. I know. And I think it was partly because, I mean, and anyone who knows the two names obviously assumes Domenica de Rosa is made up and Ellie Griffiths is real. Uh, but I think it was, I think the thinking was, and, and I can understand why why they thought this, was that Ellie Griffiths, uh, one sounded made up, uh, Domenica de Rosa sounded made up and also sounded very romantic. It did sound like a sort of romantic fiction writer and, and they wanted something a bit grittier and, and my grandma was Ellen Griffiths so originally I, I wanted Ellen Griffiths and I'm not even sure how I became Ellie and I said to my editor recently Do, can you remember how I became Ellie and she said oh she said, I think it just looked a bit tidier and you can see on the books it, it is it is quite tidy between the G and the F. Um, but another thing is when I was in publishing, we always used to say to, to writers that authors with surnames that begin FGH sell more. And that's meant to be because it's on eye level in the shops. You've got A there and Z there, and Ellie Griffiths, Griffiths on, on, on eye level. I don't think that's true, really, because it depends where you start the shelving, doesn't it? But anyhow, that's how I became Ellie Griffiths. I'm sure uh, Mike Craven and Mark Binnum <laughs> would... They've done all right, haven't they? You know, J.K. Rowling hasn't really yeah. had a career particularly. Yeah, yes, really. But John Grisham, he fits the, he fits the trend. Yeah, <laughs> Philippa Gregory, there's a few G names. Yeah. I feel like I've been stalked on social media by Mike Craven at the minute. I can't escape his face. It's everywhere. Oh, well, well, he's so brilliant, isn't it? It was lovely to see him winning the Steel Dagger the other night. You know, he, he's he's a terrific talent, I think, really. Such a nice guy. So you could be stalked by worse people, Donna. I'd say he's kind of terrifying looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly looks sort of imposing, doesn't he? I have to say, yes. Yeah, but he is lovely. I saw him recently in Wigan, but he said he's only going to talk to me when I was eating. <laughs> okay. I guess, oh, well. Yeah, I guess because I couldn't respond. <laughs> <laughs> Chance to start eating then in case uh, yeah. Mike Craven turns up. Yeah. And he's like a sort of one of those... Um, monsters you know that you you have to say their name three times and they appear so maybe if we do it now Mike Craven Mike Craven Mike Craven let's see yeah can't see him yet but you never know you never know yeah he's probably off somewhere anyway he's so busy at the minute isn't he yeah he is yeah yeah but he's he's brilliant and I think um he's moving to Brighton actually which is going to be great to, to have him nearby <laughs> Much like yourself, you've been very busy this week as well, I've noticed. You've been all over the place. I've had a very busy few weeks, actually, uh, which which is a bit bad organisation from my point of view, because I told, uh, you know, I, I, I did think after lockdown and not doing anything, you know, I discussed with my publicist, do, doing the, who's wonderful, uh, doing a little bit less. But this week... This month has been, uh, I had a week doing some children's events because one of my children's books came out. So I did that. And I had a week in Italy, which I shouldn't complain about at all because that was lovely. Uh, I had a week in um, doing uh, um, the, the literary uh, festival in Guernsey. And then I came back and immediately did something in Norfolk. So it's just been a bit rushing around. And last weekend I had a family wedding, which again was lovely, nothing to do with it. But it just means that I have been whizzing around, I have to say. Yeah, it's exhausted, isn't it? Because I've been, I went up to Wigan and then the following weekend I went to Leek for a wedding and then um, there's Harrogate coming up and then I'm going to Blackpool and, you know, living down south, it's really tiring, really expensive. <laughs> it is, and, and there's no reason why travelling on a train, sitting quietly, you know, reading a book or eating is tiring, <laughs> but it really is, isn't it? You feel exhausted at the end of it all. Um, but yeah, glad you're going to be at Harrogate. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. <laughs> Love it. Um, so if you were to be 
picked up and transported into one of your books as a character, which book would you choose? Oh, good question. I haven't been asked that before. Let me think about it. Um, do you know, I'm wondering if I might go for the Brighton Mysteries rather than, than the Ruth books. Um, other Ruth books are set in Norfolk, which I absolutely love, um, and it's a very beautiful part of the country. Uh, but but I've been there, obviously, um, and I've never been to 1950s or 60s Brighton. So I think I might I think I might really really enjoy that, you know. And I also uh, like a lot of people. Maybe I'm a bit of a thwarted actor. I've always want always wanted to act as well as always wanted to write. I did a bit of me sort of wanted to act as well. I did lots of it at school and university. So I'd kind of quite like to be for a little while um in some sort of touring rep production in the 1950s or 60s you know going on every night and doing the play and they're coming home and staying in digs and I'm not sure that I'd love that but you know that was my mum's life because she was brought up by her dad quite unusual then to be a single parent family and that was what they did they just traveled around the country all the time because he was in rep and he was a a, a comedian it's a musical comedian so they just travel around all, all the time it's a really I don't think it, I'd love it as a life but maybe I would like to do it for a bit yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? You know, and also being, I remember my mum saying that when she went to school for the first time, and she, which was when she was about 12, um, and she's the inspiration for my books about justice. She said she didn't have any friends her own age because all her friends were like sword swallowers and uh, <laughs> ventriloquists and, uh, you know, dancers. And, and that, uh, and I must, you know, maybe that's not ideal, but it also does sound quite cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which of your characters is the most fun to write and which gives you the most trouble? Justice is definitely the most fun. So those are the children's books. Um, and I, I sometimes like do a chapter of Justice on a Friday just to cheer myself up if I've had a hard week. So she's probably the only character that I would just write for fun. And I think that's where they just started because nobody said to me, please, Ellie, write a children's book. It was more that I just really wanted to write them and I just find them fun. And so definitely she's the one that gives me least trouble. I guess that they're set in the past. There's not too much to check, not too much sort of forensics or to, to check really um the, the boarding school where she lives is sort of my own creation so I can make it whatever I want it to be and uh, they're quite short you know all those things so they are the ease who gives me the most trouble well I think Ruth gives me quite a lot of trouble actually because um although in some way she's the character I feel closest to although I have to say in character she, we're not particularly similar but I guess I sort of feel I know her really well, but um, she just doesn't always do what I want. Like, for example, I uh, set her up with a lovely man called Frank. You know, I thought, you know, this thing with Nelson, it's got to be broken and maybe it could be broken if I find another lovely boyfriend. So I, I gave her Frank, who was good looking, kept saying, you know, like George Clooney, he's American, he's, he's a historian, he's very clever, he's very nice. Could she end up with Frank? She just refused to. So I think Ruth gives me the most trouble. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, they're just sods, aren't they? Really, they are, and it's interesting though. Isn't it? I find that quite interesting, and it is. I don't, I don't go too far down that route with my creative writing students, but I think it is one of the interesting things about writing is that you can have the best laid plans and they don't work out and um, again that's something that I learned from publishing because of course if publishers knew what was going to be to sell if they if they knew what was going to be the next big thing they would just say to their writers write it we happen to know that books about librarians who solve murders in Kidderminster are really big so go and write one of those it does sound quite good but anyhow um we, you, you would do that, but, but publishers don't know what's going to sell, really. There's always something that's a big surprise. And writers don't quite know where their books are going to end up. So I do think that is frustrating, but it is one of the lovely things about it. You're never quite sure what, what, what you're going to write. You know, you can start, I remember Elizabeth Haynes saying that one of her books, I can't remember, she always started job as erotic fiction. And she's like, great, brilliant, erotic fiction. Then, oh, my God, there's a dead body. It's a crime novel. <laughs> you, you don't always know where you're going. <laughs> so many crime writers are like I can't write romance because I'd want to kill someone I just yeah. can't do it and, and actually looking back my first four books uh you know by the romantically named Domenica de Rosa they're, they're quite a lot of mysteries in them and, and a couple of dead bodies so yes probably I was already a crime writer but I didn't know it <laughs> 
Uh, that leads kind of nicely to my next question. Uh, if you were to be a fictional killer, how would you kill your victims? Oh, you ask good questions, Donna. Um, well, I did. I have heard from from various sources that that the best, you know, the the, the most foolproof murder is is probably the simplest, and it's probably is just pushing someone down the stairs and uh, then going to help them, and and uh, if they're not quite dead, finishing them off whilst supposedly helping them. So I guess that's a. But I, I can't see myself. I can't see myself doing any murder in real life. I can't see myself doing that because I'm not totally, terribly strong and I certainly wouldn't know how to finish someone off when I got to the bottom of the stairs. So I guess, you know, it would be some sort of... Um, people do tell you uh, good things. That only only this week somebody told me that if you wanted to kill someone insulin, which I've done in a couple of books, to in, inject them between their toes or something. So, uh, you know, all, all those things are good, but I, I can't see myself doing it. One, I'm very squeamish, which is why there's not much blood and gore in my books. So of course, there are a lot of deaths, but not much. So I'm very squeamish. I'm very, I'm one of those people who really hates talking about anything medical. So, you know, it's been a nightmare the last few years, everyone talking about, ooh, I've, I've got a slight little cough. I wonder what that could be. Oh, don't tell me about that. No, can't bear it. It's a bit phlegmy. No, sure, 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 don't say that. So I can't talk about anything medical. So sort of poisons and things are out. So, and also the other thing is, if I'd done a really, really clever murder, like like one of the ones in, in crime fiction, I won't be able to resist showing off about it. So, well, I just think I, I'm not I'm not cut out to be a murderer. No, one of my um, Mark Billingham randomly said that he'd drown his wife in a swimming pool. I like. Well, firstly. The first person they look at is the partner. Exactly. Secondly, like seriously, in your own swimming pool, like <laughs> just no, no, no. That's a very bad murder, and also yeah. his wife's lovely, so um, I'm sure he thinks so too. So yes, yeah. not a good murder at all. No, think no, harder. very disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said Tom he would solve that in seconds, wouldn't he? Yeah, I need to. I need to have words with him. Although I think he was quite freaked out after he finished speaking to me, but yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so if you were, how would you, how would you do it as a crime fiction reader? Well, <laughs> and forensics expert. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I was asked this question, and my immediate answer was stab someone a hundred times. Ooh. I don't really know why, but it's because I have someone in mind. Okay. If I if I thought about it properly, then I would do it. You know, so that I wouldn't get caught and stuff. But yeah, my immediate reaction was to just stab someone over and okay, over again. Well, yeah, that that might leave a bit of a forensic trail, as you would know better than me. But yeah, apparently the hundred means that I need therapy of some kind as well. You know, which is fair enough. <laughs> yes, either that or it's an Agatha Christie esque thing where a hundred people did it or something. Oh no, I'd want to do every single one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really despise this person and I am actually writing a book where I have killed him <laughs> quite oh, horrendously good. and tortured him a lot. Well, I've got to say, I have killed a few people in my books that I don't like very much. Um, and uh, it's lovely therapy. I don't yeah. think anyone would follow the trail, but I've either killed them or made them the killer. And I've quite enjoyed doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's great fun. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> if I could not ever hurt him in real life, which I can't and I wouldn't want to. Yes. Um, Either yeah. make him the, or make him some sort of more, even more pathetic character, you know, make him some, yes. I'm sure you could think of a way. Yeah, I don't know. It's quite pathetic anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, a question that I stopped asking, um, but seems to get interesting answers is how do you uh, find names for your characters? That is a good question. Um, and it is a bit of an issue, really. Um, again, when I talk, when I teach, I say to my students, one of the things that we do, like as a sort of getting to know you exercise, you know, also helps me remember their names, is I say to them to tell me their name and to give me, tell me why they're called it. Because there's always a really nice bit of backstory. Like, do you know why you're called Donna? I don't actually, funnily enough, I have no idea. Well, even that itself is a bit of a story, isn't it? That, that you don't know. But like, my name is Domenica, um, and it was because I was, it means Sunday in Italian. It's because I was born on a Sunday. And also, I've got two older sisters, and I think my parents have just run out of names. So they named me after the day of the week, and it could have been worse because Monday's Lunady. So, you know, uh, Domenica's not a bad name. So I always say to students, you know, tell me why you're called that, because that's a bit of backstory. So, 
I never name a character without thinking why, why they called it, because even if they're a minor character, it just gives you a tiny bit of backstory. Um, having said that, I have fallen into quite a few traps with names, like having too many with a similar letter beginning, too many M's in my books. Short names beginning with C, like I've got way too many Claras and Chloe's and Claire's. There's something about that that I really like. Um, and uh, when I wrote uh, The Nighthawks, um, as soon as it came out, of course, it's really lovely these days, isn't it? Because you hear from readers so quickly. So as soon as as soon as it came out, by the end of the day, people were saying, oh, is Neil Topham in this book related to Neil Topham in A Room Full of Bones? And I'm, no, it's just a mistake. Obviously, something about that name I really like. So if, if anyone has a Neil Topham version, it's um, there's a bit of a collector's item because subsequent editions, it's been changed to Neil Thomas. So I used exactly the same name. Obviously, something about Neil's that uh, that, that appeals, as appeals Neil's as a name. But it is one of those names that is it's quite short and it's easy to say. And it, and it does maybe date you a little bit. I don't think many babies now called Neil. So um, the answer is I, I, my, I really find names interesting and, and relevant, but I'm not the best at choosing them. Yeah, I, I'm really amazed at how much trouble. I mean, you know, when you have so many books and so many characters, I can imagine it is difficult. And yeah, finding new ones. It really sometimes you think, what are people called? How can I do it? I mean, there is, and I'm sure you know, there is like um, such a thing as a random name generator, which you can just go on to. And it is quite good because you can tell, say, when they were born and wh where they're from. And, um, and that's that's quite useful. But somehow it never quite does it. I think it has to be something out of your head. And sometimes you think, oh, that's exactly what that character's called. I, and I try and sort of stick with that first, you know, thinking, oh, that's what they're called. But it's it's not always foolproof. No, I must admit, I saw a guy's name the other day and it was so cool that I've got it in the notes on my phone just in case it comes in handy because it was so cool. I'm like, that is such a cool name. I'm going to need to keep hold of that for later. <laughs> some names are very cool. My niece Ellie, for some reason, has always had friends with the best names. So uh, I wouldn't be able to use them in a book because she would uh, spot it. But, you know, I do think people, some people have amazing names. Well, Domenica de Rosa is not a bad name, but there are some amazing names around. <laughs> do you hide any secret jokes, messages or Easter eggs in your books? Um, I don't think so. Um consciously there might be a little bit of stuff going in the most I think in the most recent Ruth book I said Ruth never trusts anyone who quotes Shakespeare and anyone who knows me knows that's a big thing of mine because I really love Shakespeare and I've got a bad memory for lots of things but I've got a very good memory for quotes so I do know loads of things off my heart loads of Shakespeare off my heart so that was a little bit of a joke that, that only people who knew me would would, would guess that uh, that's a bit of a dig at myself. So occasionally, I think I might have had Brighton football team win in a, in a couple of books, which doesn't happen so much in real life. Um, yeah, no, I, not consciously, but of course there are things that you would spot if you did know me. Yeah, I'm a Luton Town supporter, so although we did all right last season. To yeah, be fair, well, actually, <laughs> we had a good season this season, but you, it's, it's one of those things if you support a club like Luton or Brighton, you're never totally secure, are you? <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, so. yeah, bless them. Yeah, well, I mean, they got to play also. I knew we would win, it was fine, <laughs> it was totally fine, but. And is that true about Mad Hatter coming from the, the fact that they used arsenic or something in the making of hats and it made people go mad? That's I don't know, know actually I'll have to google that yeah I don't know yeah well I, I might be a useless little bit of information that I've and that's why the Mad Hatter in, in um yeah. uh, but I know I know it's because Luton is, is where they made hats so yeah yeah it still has a hat factory that obviously doesn't make hats it's like a, a venue for artsy stuff which is really cool but yeah, yeah. Really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um what was I just going to ask you I've totally gone off track yeah, now. Arsenic <laughs> hats, Luton, we've gone off on a bit of a... Yeah, little... which I usually do anyway. Um, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. Um, what's the most interesting thing you've come across doing research for your books? Oh, quite a lot of really interesting things. One of, one of the interesting love things I was told quite early on by a forensic archaeologist um, who obviously specialise in digging and, and you know, digging things up and that they're called in, in to consult by the police when buried bones are found was that you don't find nettles unless there's been some sort of human interaction so um 
I think it's to do with the nitrates in the soil or something. So if, if you have nettles in the garden, you could have a dead body there. So nettles only occur when there's been some sort of human activity. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and there have been a, a few sort of good um, good archaeology ones, like there was, there was uh, something about um, pot polish, which is found on bones if, if, if there's been cannibal activity, they've been cooked in a pot, which I thought that was quite interesting. But it's not necessarily cannibal, but if, if it was sort of cooked in a pot, so a particular sheen on the bones, I'm sure I've used that in a book. So yeah, there've been, there've, there've been a few little interesting bits of information that I do squirrel away like a lot of writers. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah. And I love the way that that um, archaeologists can look at a landscape and, and see it in a particular way, you know, and see see sort of dips in it meaning something and sort of lines that you can see from from from, from the air, you know, that, that can tell you uh, that there's there's um, a place near me in Brighton where you can see as clearly it has been a sort of house there. Um, you can see the lines... Um, so, so who knows what's there? So I found all that ghost lines they're called sometimes. It can be a house. And I remember my husband, who is an archaeologist, he did a dig in Preston Park because they're in, just outside Brighton because there's a big um, uh, Roman villa there. And they were really excited and they thought they'd found a Roman villa. But actually what it was was a tank. And it was a tank that was built in the Second World War to test tanks to test whether they were water. So what a strange thing to find, a tank to test tanks, but not a Roman villa, sadly. Yeah. And bones are just amazing, aren't they? I've, you know, when I held a bone, I can't believe it's, I guess porous is the word, but it's, you think they're these really solid things, which they are, but they've got loads of holes in. It's like, how is that so strong? And, and yeah, so it's kind of little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yes, crazy. And, and, and there's so many things that you know can tell, like you know the the, the little feces. I think they're called the growing ends that 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 are there in children's bones, and uh, so many things can be told from bones. And also, I find it really fascinating when they do isotope analysis. You know that the mineral analysis because it can tell you where somebody's grown up. You know, um, sort of on teeth and things like that, because bones renew themselves every seven years, but teeth don't. So once you've got your adult teeth, they're there, and they've got a trace of you know everything you've ever eaten. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's insane and yeah, just awesome. I loved. <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting in the sort of in a more serious way as well. Uh, I've heard it said that that forensics is the voice of the victim, and uh, I I think that's a really you know interesting thing that that's that's been covered by quite a lot of crime writers like Lynn Anderson. And you know when you look at forensic, we have a forensic um, a character who's an expert in forensics. You know that they are speaking for the victim. The victim is telling their own story. Hopefully, they're pointing their own finger at the culprit, which I think is very cool. Yeah, I think um, I first saw that with Kathy Wright. So I started reading Kathy Wright when oh, yeah. I was sort of a young, an older teenager, and um, and I think she started saying that because she's a real life. She's a real anthropologist, isn't she? Yeah, so she's the reason I've done buddy forensics degree. Is she? <laughs> Well, yeah, you are. That's a good. That's a good thing to do. And and now you're an expert too. So yeah, I always said if I met her, then I'd say thanks. And she's at Harrogate, isn't she? So I can actually oh, genuinely God. say thank you. Oh yes, well, make sure that you do. Yeah, because she was there, I think, in 2017 as well. And I spoke to her. And she seemed lovely. So do do tell her that. Yeah, well, I have to try not to be shy. <laughs> I went really shy last year. <laughs> I have to say that I'm sure for her it would be a wonderful thing to hear. So do say that to her. Yeah, she's I probably fed up with people saying I became a writer because of you, and you're like I became a forensic scientist because of you. I think you'd be really excited by that. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think that's very cool. Yeah, I will make make sure, and I'll make my friends make me if I get shy. So they will, they'll bully me into doing it. <laughs> um, when you're editing your book, what's your most overused word or phrase? Oh, again, what a fab question. I'm a bit of a one for crazy, as in like the gate was hanging crazily on its hinges, <laughs> a bit of a bit of a bad one. But I do overuse uh, words like sort of slightly, just uh, briefly, those words. And I remember talking with Sarah Pindra once and she um, obviously author of Behind Her Eyes, really brilliant author. And she said that she had to cut some words from a manuscript and she went through it cutting every one of those words that they're sort of like maybe perhaps and she said she thinks women writers might use more of them it's like it's like a little bit of you know distance a little bit of self-deprecation or maybe perhaps 
slightly and you know may, maybe I don't know if that's at all scientific maybe mm. we'll try to have more of those words but one of the things that I do do a bit of search for is is slightly she's slightly afraid she's you know she's slightly worried well she's just worried she's just afraid not slightly anything but that that is one of my words I love it I love how every author knows it like that there's no hesitation they know their words and there's a little there are ticks too like um I noticed that characters in my book sigh a lot oh he sighed and 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 uh, during lockdown when we're all you know in quite close proximity I learned from my family that I sigh a lot I just (laughs) how annoying and so that's obviously why my characters sigh so yeah now I do check them because I think it's quite a a useful one for if you don't want them to speak but you want them to make some sort of you know I, I don't know if it's called fatic fatic uh, uh, sound that sort of shows that they're listening like grunting or snorting my mind just goes around and sighing <sighs> so stop them sighing <laughs> I, love, I love it when people shrug and nod as well Some oh yeah shrugging to... is is a thing isn't it? he shrugged we don't shrug that much really do we Maybe no we i mean are you thinking books that everyone's shrugging all the time <laughs> yeah that's really true actually but i think that is just another one of those things isn't it you don't want people to necessarily speak but you want them to show they've heard <laughs> yeah like padding yeah if yeah. i pads across the room i've never padded across oh, the room yeah. in my life i don't think yeah. i've got to say ruth does pad in one of the books but i know what you're saying lots of people um and I probably only noticed it because I've, you know, it's a bit of an overused thing. But yes. But as like someone said, there's only so many ways you can say that someone walked across a room. You know, they walked or they tiptoed or they creeped or they padded. Like there really isn't many ways that you can say someone no, walked across a room. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've got just like said, you know, we all just use said all the time. Hopefully, it does disappear. But you know, if you read books of a certain era, there are lots of other words for that including he ejaculated which weirdly we don't use very much anymore no funny that I think yeah. we're, we all think we're adults and we'd all snort and laugh because yeah. we're just children aren't we I think there's a there's an activity books which start Poirot ejaculated <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 We, we, you better just avoid avoid those words and so many exclamation marks as well I'm a big Georgia Hare fan I'm always really reading Georgia Hare but almost every every um bit of dialogue is exclamation marks and now we're very sparing with those and it makes those books being very exciting people exclaiming all the time but now we're a bit quieter with that aren't we we're just shrugging now shrugging yeah. and sighing. yeah <laughs> um if you're able to spend a day with any author dead or alive who would you like to spend a day with Oh, it depends who'd be fun and who'd be... I mean, I really would love to uh, have met Wilkie Collins, who's my favourite author. Um, absolute massive fan of his um, his books, particularly Woman in White and um, No Name and The Moonstone. I'm really a fan of his. I mean, I think he was quite an interesting character. I think he, he had two separate establishments, two different women, neither of whom he was married to, you know. And he was quite liberal in lots of ways and forward thinking but maybe not so much in others but I think he'd be very interesting I think he'd be interesting to spend time with so maybe I would and Shakespeare again I would love to to know him whoever he was I would love to have spent time with him so yeah definitely Shakespeare love to have Agatha Christie Georgia Hare any of those people and who have you found that girl Dover most that you have met because you must have met some massive people names oh (laughs) Well, you know, no one's above the whole fan girl. I'm probably, probably doing it with Kathy White. So I did it with Val McDermott first time I met her. I remember really, I'm such a fan of yours. And now she's a friend, which is sort of amazing to, to think, really. But yeah, she was very nice on that little back to it a little bit. But um, yeah, so also I was a big, big fan of Reginald Hill. And um, I... I'm lucky that I got to meet him because sadly he died a little bit afterwards, but I met him at Harrogate and it was exactly that thing. I was like, I was so, oh my God, I'm such a man, I'm such a fan. And he was so nice and he said to me, um, oh, that's lovely. And what's your book about? And I had just written The Crossing Faces, the first Ruth book. And you know how when you want to say something brilliant, like something that would really make me think, wow, and all I could think of to say was, uh, uh, Norfolk. And he said, oh, lovely, yes, well, bye, and uh, moved on his way, so I wish I could have said something more, more exciting, but yeah, wonderful to meet him, what, what a terrific writer he is, was, is still. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless. Um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? I'd go to ancient Rome. 
Um, I mean, like like everyone says, you know, you have to sort of slightly make the the disclaimer that that uh, uh, you'd have to be rich, and obviously, I would not want to be a not rich person. But actually, in some ways, I, I picked Rome because it wasn't a bad time to be a woman if you were um, rich. You know, Rome, Roman women were very powerful matriarchs; that they, they were they were educated. Um, it would be lovely to be in Italy. Uh, Romans, of course, are uh, famous for having really lovely baths and running water, all of which I would really enjoy. Uh, I would, uh, you know, love it, love it. I mean, they had, if you go to, to Pompeii or Ostia, you know, they had like tower, you know, they had high rise houses, three, three or four story houses. There are a million people in ancient Rome. It really was an incredible civilization when you think about it. So I think I might like to of being a Roman matron. I feel I'm quite well suited to it. I think the toga would have been rather lovely and uh, flattering to wear. I could spend my time having lovely baths. And, um, you know, it, it, it was not a bad time to be a woman. You had quite a lot of power. Yeah, yeah that's a good reason. <laughs> and um, nice weather, yeah. So, yeah, ancient yeah. Rome it is. And togas seem like they'd be quite cool and stuff as yes, well. Yes, very so. good. Yes, yes. Matt might might wear my Harrogate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that's gonna. Yeah. I don't yeah. think anyone would be surprised. Yeah. No, no, no. That's a good thing. And if, yes, yeah. I do remember going to a toga party when I was a student a long time ago. But yes, togas are fun. Yeah. <laughs> a rather lovely hair. They had sort of quite nice hair, sort of plaited round, and I, I felt like I could maybe do that as well. So. Yeah. I always think I can plait my hair and then it just doesn't. I think it's too fine. That's what I'm sticking it's, to. It's, well, mine's quite thick and that's bad as well and sort of curly. So, but um, when my daughter was young, I loved plaiting her hair. Poor girl, she's grown up now. And I still love to put your hair in lovely French plaits. It's so nice to do on somebody else. She's got lovely long hair. It's perfect to do it with. Yeah. But apparently that's weird, especially if you don't warm them. You just go up and start playing with their hair. Apparently yeah, this is weird. Like, apparently <laughs> not. Who knew? Apparently you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I know. Sports, sports, like honestly. Tucking, tucking people's labels. I often feel a bit like I want to do that with people I don't know. Like, no, don't do that. That just looks weird. I <laughs> really random funny story. I was working with working in a different Greg shop with a guy and um, someone had forgot something on the counter. So he ran around and put it in his pocket. <laughs> and then afterwards and he was the shyest sort of you know most awkward person <laughs> and we ended up laughing for the next hour or so because it's like what did you what did you do that for and it's like yeah. I don't know <laughs> no. but why would you but sometimes, uh, sometimes you do do things like that don't you yeah it, it just didn't and he just done it like there was no hesitation he just put it in and it was yeah we ended up laughing for ages because it was so bad <laughs> I don't even think the poor guy knew what to think, really. And suddenly someone's hands in your pocket, another guy to a guy as well. Oh my God. I remember leaving a party. This struck some another strange memory in my head. I mean, leaving a party when I was a student with a friend and she had a bottle of, a bottle of open wine with us, like you do. And a dog came by and she just poured it on him. And I said, Why did you do that? Why did you put? And she said, I don't know. And the funny thing was, the dog just looked at us and said, Oh, no, not again. Not another student pouring wine. We didn't find it at all. It was so strange. Sometimes people do do strange things. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Uh, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, well, weirdly, uh, maybe maybe you won't think this is weird, but I really, really liked Christopher Lee in the Dracula films. And I was quite young. Um, and I guess because I had older sisters, maybe, maybe they watched Dracula or something, I don't know. But I didn't really realise that he was meant to be spooky. I just thought, yeah, he's really cool. I love his big house. I love his clothes. You know, and, and I found it afterwards that he's, he was partly Italian and, and I think his grandmother was an opera singer. So maybe there was some sort of Italian thing. So so I really did like Christopher Lee at a young age, which which is quite a strange celebrity crush. Um, and, and then maybe Starsky and Starsky and Hutch, big fan of his. Oh, and actually, this is a link here because I, I'm a tennis fan. I loved Ileana Stasi. And of course, he is Romanian. So maybe there is a Transylvanian link there. But you loved Nastasi. I feel very, very um, disloyal to him when I wear my Stan Smith trainers because, of course, that terrible final when he lost to Stan Smith. So, yeah, it was a big Nastasi fan. Yeah, that's uh, that's the first. So, yeah, interesting. Oh, good. good, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I love, usually it's um, Donny Osmond or 
um, the other guy. Yeah. I can't think um, what his name is now. David Essex or um, one of those. I uh, know I, I, I wasn't a fan <laughs> of any of those people, really. Who was yours then? Can you remember yours? See, the first person I really remember liking, I think, is Robbie Williams, but I must have liked people before then. But he's the first person I really remember thinking, yeah, he's really nice. Yeah, and it's quite a, it's quite a sort of potent thing, isn't it? You sort of think they're looking directly at you and speaking directly to you. So, yeah, it's quite a potent thing. Yeah, uh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I just going to ask you as well? What's one of my other fun questions? <laughs> Go blank again. Um genuinely can't think um I was going to ask you actually before if um if you were fictionally murdered who do you want to solve your case oh okay another good one um yeah it'd have to be somebody uh, who would I want to solve my case I mean I'm, I've just written a, a Miss Marple story for the Miss Marple and new Miss Marple anthology which, which is this terrific honor to be asked but I wouldn't want her because she would probably sit there saying things like oh that reminds me of little Johnny in the village you know and uh, I'd want someone to sort of kind of get after it a bit quicker than that really um <laughs> and, and sort of get get on to you know I think I would go for Sergeant Cuff in the Moonstone because he's a really good detective he's the first I think the first fictional detective in in, in British fiction anyhow um, and he, he's a great character he's, he's really down to earth he's a working class guy who comes into this sort of uh, posh house and is absolutely not at all uh, overawed by it and he's got a very um, clear way of, of setting about murders he was inspired by the real Inspector Wincher um, so so he has a lot of his characteristics. So I would say fictional crime solving would be done. And he, and he gets it right as well. He, he writes out the murder because he's, he's because in those days, like the, the, the mistress of the house employed him privately because I don't think there was a police force as such. So um, there was a police force, but there was sort of detectives. So uh, she employed him, him privately and then sat, then sat him so she didn't want him anymore. But he wrote down the name of, of, of the, the, the culprit in the sealed envelope and he was right so a sergeant cuff if for me <laughs> awesome um and where's the strangest or funniest place you've ever woken up oh strangest or funniest place i've ever woken up gosh um in a, i did wake up in a french garage once for for all sorts of strange reasons um uh, going hardly with some friends and, and our car broke down and we were towed somewhere towed through the forest of fontainebleau which was quite strange and spooky and I think I must have fallen asleep during that long towing bit and then woke up in this French garage. So that was that's probably the best I can do for that one. <laughs> um, what very your... nice. They brought us croissants and things, so they were very nice. <laughs> oh, bless. Yeah. I know we have such a thing against the French, don't we? But they're not all bad. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, I, I, I do think, though, that when you and I love France, but when you go through France, we quite often drive to Italy. And, and motorways in, in motorway service stations in Britain and France are so awful. When you get to Italy, it's like a holiday in itself. The service station is so clean and lovely. The food is delicious. You get freshly cooked pasta and the coffee is lovely. So I do think in, in that way, I have to say, you know, you have to just keep driving through France until you get to Italy. <laughs> yeah. For that reason alone. But France <laughs> is wonderful. Yeah, noted. I went to Paris and I wasn't that much of a fan, so... Paris maybe not the place to go. Is it like this? Um, I don't know. But I mean, the Dordogne and south of France is really lovely, and Brittany is yeah. It's such a beautiful big country, isn't it? I suppose that's the thing. Yeah, they're on my list, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so lots of places to explore first before you give up on it totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I haven't given up. But yeah. <laughs> um, if I was to ask your nearest or dearest what your most annoying habits are, what would they say? Sighing, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sighing, Shakespeare quoting, all those things really. <laughs> and I think they might well say both of those. Singing hymns, you know, I I I do still <laughs> sing hymns in a in a not the most my, my son's a musician he's a classical pianist but goodness knows we got that from because I um can't play a note and I've obviously got a really bad singing voice so uh, probably that puts it so maybe singing hymns sighing quoting Shakespeare those sort of things <laughs> are all quite annoying oh and telling telling you the end of, of Agatha Christie things on tv that's really annoying oh, yeah <laughs> just saying in a really uh, well don't get fond of that character <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, yeah, that was... <laughs>
Um, so you said you're going to Harrogate. Are you attending any of the other festivals throughout the summer? Yeah, so I am going to be at Harrogate in July. I'm going to be at St Hilda's, St Hilda's Crime in Oxford in, in August, which I'm really looking forward to. And then I'm going to be at Bloody Scotland in September. Obviously, as you and I know, but I will just explain, Bloody Scotland is the name of the festival. I'm not being horrible about Scotland. I love Scotland. <laughs> so Bloody Scotland Festival in Stirling. So, oh, and, and also in September, September is a busy month for me. For the first time in my life, I'm going to go to the Agatha Christie Festival in Torquay. Which, oh, wow. which, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'm hoping, because you know that Agatha Christie was a great, uh, great surfer. Uh, I think she's the first Western woman to, to stand up right on a surfboard. And um, so in honour of how I'm going to go for a swim, I love wild swimming, so I should swim when I'm there. I learned this at Harrogate last year during the quiz. It was in the quiz, wasn't it? And <laughs> yeah. I actually did know that because it, because I had an Agatha Christie round and because I was writing that Agatha Christie story then, I'd been on a real <laughs> Agatha Christie read-through. Normally on my quiz team, I'm very much a spare part who keeps saying, <laughs> oh, I knew that two minutes after, you know, Mark's written it down. Um, but Mark Edwards is our team captain with the pink hair. Um, but... Um, this year, I was able to come into my own on that round. I felt quite proud of myself. Will yeah. you be quiz are you quizzing again this year? I'm waiting to see what my friends are doing, actually. <laughs> How hard was that quiz? It was so hard. So hard. <laughs> we came second. Our team came second. Um, partly because we had Claire McGowan on our team, who is totally brilliant and knows everything. Um, but, but we came second. And I thought... But then the team that won, like Mick Heron's team, how many things do they know? I mean, they're just unbeatable, really. <laughs> but yes, we're going to try and beat them. I mean, I, I said to somebody, well, let's get Mark, you know, Mick really drunk. And they said, do you know, even really drunk, he would know all the answers. And I think that is probably true. <laughs> yeah, because that was, was that Richard Osmond's team as well? Yeah, and his yeah. super smart anyway, I mean, Richard Osmond, just... you know, Sarah Hillary, Mick Heron, that's not fair, is it? But <laughs> you did come second, and I do feel that we might have peaked at second. But, uh, <laughs> yes. But Mars is good. Uh, Mark Edwards, me, um, uh, William Shaw, Susie Holliday, uh, Claire McGowan. So it was, was, a, was a good fun team. Oh, uh, yeah, I can imagine. Oh, William's lovely as well, isn't he? He's oh, such William's a sweetheart. Right. <laughs> so nice. Um, was with him at the Daggers on, on Wednesday, because, you know, we're both from Brighton, so we travelled up together, travelled back, Ran, ran, ran for our train to Brighton, um, got on it few, we were on the train, it was about midnight, chatting, and then said to William, we're on the wrong train, and we were, <laughs> oh, no. so we had to end up doing some nightmare rush through sort of West Norwood, mm -hmm. East Croydon to try and get on a train, the last train to Brighton, so, but, you know, it's nobody I'd rather do that with, he's great. Yeah. I don't think I've met him yet, actually, so it would be nice to finally meet him hopefully, yeah, and have you, over have the you, summer. Have you interviewed him for that? Because he's, he's a great <coughs> interviewee. He's always got something fun to say. Yeah, I've interviewed him once, actually. So, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Come and say hello at Harrogate, because he'll be there. I will. And uh, um, <laughs> Gray Bartlett, who also lives in Brighton, um, I've obviously, his book's been out this week and stuff, and he's got a panel at Harrogate. And he's banned me from sitting in the front row. Oh, no. Is he, are you going to put him off, does he say? Well, that's what, I guess that's what he thinks, which is very mean, as if yeah. I would. As if I'd be that immature to put him off. At how no, sure. And I'm sure he wouldn't be put off easily. Uh, Graham is terrific as well. I'm really happy to see Bad for, for Good, which I love, doing so well. It's I think it's hit the bestseller list th this week. So it's I'm so pleased for him, but yeah. he is obviously famously uh, ex-chief superintendent at Brighton and Hove. And uh, Leslie Thompson, who who I don't know if you know at all, she's she's another lovely, brilliant writer, would be a great interviewee. Anyhow, Leslie and I run this course at Westine, which is um it's a crime writing course. So Westine is is a kind of stately home in West Sussex and they do courses and we, Leslie and I do this crime writing course there and on the last weekend of the course uh, we get Graham to come in and do like a murder investigation it's really good because he does the whole you know the outline on the floor the police tapes up and Graham is there and this time Graham said well, what should we do he's always trying to do something different and Leslie and I was saying well some of our students are really struggling a bit with dialogue so wouldn't it be fun if you interviewed us both the suspects and Graham said, oh, that's great. Yeah, well, so we came up with sort of that scenario and he interviewed us both. Oh, my God, lovely Graham, such a nice guy. Terrifying when he's interviewing you. All I can say is I confessed. 
and I could be done. I confessed within minutes. Esley was much tougher. She was there going, oh, well, don't know, don't know. Uh, but I was absolutely, Graham was like, are you sure that's what happened? No, I'm not sure. So, you know, he has another side to him, but no, he's a terrific guy, a great writer. He is, he's amazing. Yeah, Bad for Good, it's incredible. I loved it. As soon as I read it, I'm like, oh my God, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I guess we sort of all, because he, he'd written on fiction stuff, you know, knew he could write. But I mean, the, the plotting and, and the characterization is so good. So yeah, it deserves its success, definitely. It does. Yeah, I've shouted about it a little bit since. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, me too. Yeah, bless him. I think it says on the cover that Ellie Griffiths likes it. So <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you and Peter James, obviously, because they're good friends. Uh, yeah, someone else, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Peter and, and uh, <coughs> Graham have worked together quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, so are you working on anything at the moment and what's coming next for you? So I'm halfway through, a bit more than halfway through, Ruth 15, which is called The Last Remains. Um, and the next book of mine to come out will be in October, which will be Bleeding Heart Yard, which is uh, a book sort of standalone, but also featuring um, D.I. as she is now, Harbinder Kaur. And in this book, she is promoted and goes to London and joins the Met. And Bleeding Heart Yard is a real place in London. Mm-hmm. So that's October. <coughs> Excuse me. Fabulous. Well, I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us about. Oh, no, I'm sure my voice is giving out now a bit. But thank you so much. It's been really lovely chatting to you. So you thanks too. for having me on your show. Um, so just before we go, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books from? Of course. So you can find about, about me. I'm on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Ellie Griffiths. I really love hearing from, from readers. So do get in touch. You can find my books um, in most bookshops, I hope, or in your local library. Uh, the, the last Ruth book was called The Locked Room, which will be uh, paperback in, in August. And the next uh, book out from me will be Bleeding Heart Yard in October. And then there'll be another Ruth in uh, February. So, you know, uh, you're never too too far away from an Ellie Griffiths book. <laughs> like a rat, really. <laughs> yeah, I started The Locked Room this morning. So I'm oh, loving wow. it so far. Oh, good. I'm very glad. to hear that fabulous well thanks very much (laughs) thank you donna thank you very much